clarity. Um, I don't think people are really clear on what they want. I would honestly say one of my biggest pet peeves um, is when someone says they want something and they have ex they have a certain set of expectations, but their actions don't align. It drives me crazy. Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome to Elite Achievement, your go-to podcast for service-based business owners who want to achieve their goals and grow their businesses. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to help you achieve your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve. Do you want to 10X your business this year? If so, today's guest and my client, Patrick Scott, will share with you how he is approaching 10X growth. Patrick is the founder and CEO of Crossroad Capital Partners. He exemplifies the four characteristics of a goal achiever, clarity, confidence, courage, and consistency. In this episode, Patrick takes us back to the beginning of his practice and shares the courageous decisions he made to live out his vision of being one of the top wealth management advisors and donors at his university. Patrick shares powerful mindset reframes around prospecting and commission that will help all business owners confidently grow their clientele. Get ready to maximize your potential after listening to this episode. Welcome, Patrick. What's going on, KB? How you doing? It's an honor and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes to this opportunity. As we've been coaching together and working together, I thought I have got to bring Patrick onto the podcast. <laughs> you have such a big vision and incredible energy. Our listeners are going to take so much away from our conversation today. Oh, man, I appreciate it. It's definitely an honor. I mean, you know, you're one of the most successful people I know. You're, you're always your go-getter in every circle. So for you to think of me, uh, it's an honor. So yeah, right, let's do this. I'm excited. All right, let's do it. So tell us a little bit more about your professional journey of going from mm -hmm. the NFL to founding Crossroad Capital Partners. Got it. Um, so just in terms of like, the NFL journey, I would really say it starts with the college journey, just what has allowed me to thrive in finance, I would say is my undergrad degree. Um, I have a degree in uh, molecular cell biology, um, biology, and started my master's in the same before going to the NFL. So things like pattern recognition and stress testing variables have always been a fun thing for me, um, even without having a background in finance. And so that takes me to you know the NFL. I was blessed to have a successful collegiate career at a small school. Um, and from there, uh, Arizona Cardinals, I was very blessed. Um, while we thought we was going to go in a draft in the sixth round, they really laid out how they were thinking in a draft. And I, I love how they were honest, whereas other teams just tell you what you want to hear. And so when the draft ended, I didn't get drafted. You know, they already had my offer really put together. And so from there was that's the team I trusted. Uh, and I say yes. Uh, from there, flew out to, to Phoenix, Arizona, lived in the Chandler, Scottsdale area. And while I was out there, you know, one, it was powerful to see professionals mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people look at athletes and just think of, oh, my God, someone's like gifted physically. But that's not the case. Someone who took their craft uh, as serious as possible and, and worked it to get to that level. And, you know, to have been one of those individuals who had worked to get to that level and then to see a whole nother class of professional 
It just showed me what was possible with intentionality and discipline and commitment. So that was a very huge lesson taken from NFL. And I'll say another lesson that kind of, you know, was the seed to where I am today was also seeing the disparities and just understanding around wealth and wealth management. Uh, seeing how, you know, one group of individuals may have moved in like the ownership group and the management group and then seeing how some of the players moved who would invest in those who wouldn't. And you just could see the, the, the disparities there. And I would say I was on the side of individuals who didn't know a thing. And so I didn't make the best decision on my few little thousands that I got in terms of assigning their bonus. So when I got released, uh, I'm the kind of individual that says, you know, I'm going to learn by doing. And it was, okay, I can't go to med school for four years and, you know, play football in between. So I really want to get some business experience away from that. And then more specifically, I wanted to touch finance. And so not really knowing where to go, I was searching. I saw a job opening at SunTrust Bank uh, as an assistant manager, and I applied for it. Uh, with no banking experience, what I did was leverage my time as a captain of four years uh, of leading an organization because that was a team of 18 to 21 high testosterone <laughs> male uh, type A personalities. And if I could get them to play to one tune, I was like, I can get this bank of seven people to move to one tune. It was like, so. Um, and so from there, I was able to kind of, you know, I guess that was my first career in sales for real because I walked into that role. Um, and so now I took over as assistant manager. And so that role was unique for me because naturally uh, our manager went out on maternity leave like two months in, which I was like, wow, I had to figure out so much. And that put me in touch with the higher, you know, high end clients, et cetera. And I just got real curious and asking, what were they doing? What were they thinking? And that went on for some time, grew naturally. And then I would say, what really started pulling us closer to, to Crossroad as we know it today, uh, would have been my time at a commercial bank here. I really got close with a guy who did estate planning, rest his soul. He passed away last year. Um, and I started noticing how my friend, you know, he spent more time with his kids than anyone else and made more money. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I want <laughs> right. to do that. Right. Um, but I said it to myself, thinking it was, you know, hoopla, it'll never come into fruition. Fast forward a year, uh, I was still playing Canadian Football League and doing banking in the offseason. So in 2017, when I got cut, I really got to a crossroad in my life, which is where the name is, is born from uh, and named by a mentor of mine, Tom Lipscomb. Um, really got to a crossroad. Now, this crossroad, it was, it was I could either... Uh, go play another season of football and then go to med school um, or try to go into like a higher level of this banking route. And for me, I, nothing really just excited me at that point. And ironically enough, on December 20th, my brother asked me why I had never considered being a wealth management advisor. And I laughed because I had that statement I made a year before, but I never shared with anybody. I said, what made you say that? He says, you're one of the smartest people I know, one of the most charismatic people I know. Ever I come to the bank, everyone's flocking around you. I think you do that naturally. He says, I just think it's a perfect career for you. I said, well, man, I tell you what, if a door opens, I'll walk through it and never turn around. And sure enough, the moment I said it, my phone is blowing up and a chief development officer in the network that became my network office, who was three hours away, saw my resume online. I didn't apply for anything. He shot me a code email with the wealth management training program <laughs> with Northwestern Mutual and the rest is history. Um, and so from there, that's how we got to, you know, partner with Northwestern Mutual. 
And I would just say the vision was born from exposure that I got early. Um, I have a, a great mentor in the office um, when I got started by the name of Ben Gant, who's the overseer of Southern Wealth. And I got to see the team he built and what was possible. Um, and then my dad got me in contact via one of his friends to somebody in finance who I end up finding out managed $3 billion. And, you know, he really just blessed me with a statement and a charge. And what his charge ended up coming down to was to basically pledge finance. Um, that, you know, the same way I pledged my fraternity, he pledged his to pledge finance because it's a brotherhood, it's a sisterhood. And too often people come in here and just want to benefit from it and not give back to it, which is why people don't really like our industry. He says, so I encourage you to be, you know, the one who actually commits. You know, I don't care if you got eight bucks to your name, you should have a Wall Street Journal subscription and subscription to Barron's. I did it right then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that because now I'm actually about to be featured in Wall Street. Um, I, I got an article coming up, so it's a real full circle moment there. So that vision from him telling me to pledge finance, then seeing what, you know, my managing director at the time had built, it really born in me what was possible if I could just sit down, focus and treat like the first four years of like met, like here in being in medical school in those next few years, like a residency and specialize. And so that's all I've been doing over these last six years is disappearing from the face of earth like any professional would to become a master of their craft. So I can really emerge new and offer, you know, a, a great service and serve the open market well. And that now has us to where we are um, is Crossroad Capital. What an incredible journey and an incredible story, Pad. There are <laughs> so many questions floating through my mind. And I, I want to go back. You mentioned you made a statement. So you started to visualize this life that you wanted for yourself. And you made this statement. And a year later, your brother said, hey, have you ever thought about being a wealth management advisor? How has vision played out in the practice that you're building today? Oh, man, it's everything. Like you said, to make a statement like that, and next year that happens. And even before that conversation night before, and he didn't know this, but my I told my dad I didn't want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally on December 19th decided that I was going to tell him because my dad's a dentist and that was kind of the encouragement. So I don't want to be a doctor. Um, you know, I, I love working with people. I love building relationships. And I don't want to be the surgeon who walks in and save a life and I don't really see you again unless I see you at dinner. I said, this is not the life I want. And so from that, like I said, vision was crucial. And then to really give where the vision was born, after he told me to get that subscription to Wall Street and Barron's, I came across Barron's top 100 advisors. Mm. And I started studying that list and saw the firms they were affiliated with and the masses they were managing. And I came across this guy by the name of Lion Polk, who's been like the number one advisor like the last seven, eight years. And I looked at his team. I looked at who was managing. I started reading his story. I was like, man, this is possible. And then I started looking at, you know, how the revenue is derived and things like that. And I was like, man, I want to build that. You know, if I'm going to do this, I want to be one of the best and I want to be on that list one day. And so as a result, every step I've really made since I started, you know, launching my own private firm in partnership with Northwestern Mutual, it, it was simply to now build that thing that would get me there. Um, and then beyond that it is the thing that gets me there. My passion is to give back to my university, Florida A&M University. It's a beautiful HBCU who just doesn't have the donors. Mm-hmm. And so I decided as I was studying this, I could cry about how we don't have the donors. 
or I can double down on delayed gratification, sacrifice up front, and become that donor who blesses my school and so many diverse men and women who come through his halls. And that drives me to this day. That's incredible. I, I love how you studied what the top advisors were doing. And did you do that in football as well? Were you studying the top players? And like, where did you learn that mindset to study the best and, and mimic what it is that they do? I'm a father. Mm -hmm. um, you know, really growing up, uh, motto in our fraternity, which my dad is a part of also, is achievement in every field of human endeavor. And so he would always say, hey, if you're going to do it, just be the best at it. And then now that was something he planned me early. But my mother and my father together, you're talking about a dynamic duo. I mean, uh, I'm so thankful for the two of them. Uh, the way they raised my sister, brother, and myself was with like a metric system. Mm -hmm. uh, and you really didn't know what was going on, but it was, you know, hey, the only way you don't get no allowances in this house. Um, the only money or anything you get is based off your grades. And they didn't give anything for Bs. So it was only based off the amount of A's you got. So naturally, like my sister was valedictorian. My brother did superbly well. I graduated with a 4.6 GPA because, man, I like getting things. And so um, my mom's one of the top educators. My dad was, you know, one of the top dentists. And so seeing them at the top of their game, seeing my sister graduate as a valedictorian, I think the blessing in being the youngest child was I got to see them go and achieve and be around other achievers. And whereas most people may take that as like pressure, mm -hmm. um, I, I thought of it more so like as a privilege. Mm -hmm. And in that privilege, it was, man, what a bar I get to, you know, um, go out and conquer. <laughs> And, and from there, that was always watching them. And so now when I started playing football, I didn't have an athlete in my family. So I just started watching the people who was doing it, watching how they did it at a high level. And I went out and mimicked and just started doing it myself and found myself in the NFL as well 20 years later. Um, so yeah, it was always, you know, just forecasting out, seeing to someone who's built it and now saying to myself, hey, if they did it, I can do it too. You know, we share that in common, that metric system. My dad also used to pay me for my grades. And mm -hmm. at semester, Pat, I think it was $100 for an A. It was $50, uh, 50 for a B. And if I got a C, I got nothing. Nothing. You know, <laughs> I don't think I ever got a C, uh, an occasional B, but I, I much like you, was uh, a great student and because I yeah. also like things. And I thought that Absolutely. that was... I thought that was a really unique approach. And it, his mindset was your job right now is to go to school and learn. And so that's when it, he, that's what he wanted to, um, to reward me for. And, and let's talk a little bit about learning. Cause you had mentioned as you started your firm, you thought I'm going to go into building my financial practice like medical school. I'm going to spend the first four years and treat it like medical school. And then the next four years, like a residency, how did you find the time to study, because you have every designation, you just got your master's. How'd you find the time to study while building a really big, robust clientele? Clarity. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people are really clear on what they want. I would honestly say one of my biggest pet peeves uh, is when someone says they want something and they have, ex they have a certain set of expectations, but their actions don't align. It drives me crazy. Uh, I think that comes from the football side of me when people say they want to win a championship or I would have, you know, teammates who said they want to go to the NFL, but would skip workouts. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how are you going to skip workouts 
and have a desire to go to the NFL. And so for me, I've always, you know, as a student athlete who was a you know biologist and doing biochemistry and organic chemistry and having to play football on Saturdays, I always had to be a master of my time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would say in starting a business out, a warning that I received from an older advisor uh, who was there when I was getting recruited at an event, uh, they had us at like this table of auto recruits. I didn't really realize that's, you know, what was going on. So I was like, oh, everyone's here is potentially looking at coming here. Okay, cool. We're still the show. And so I started having fun. <laughs> and, you know, next thing I know, I'm really driving the conversation, all the older advisors there. And so as it ends, this guy out of Jacksonville office, who recently retired, came to me. He says, son, I'm going to tell you right now, you can be one of the best this company has ever seen. He says, but I'm scared for you. And that caught me. He says, and that is because athletes aren't used to having free time. And when you launch your own business, all your time is yours to decide how to allocate it. He says, so if you're not clear on your time, I fear all that potential will be wasted. And Mm -hmm. so as a result, when I started, the first thing I did, even though it looks totally different today, was build out like a prototype, prototypical calendar, Um, something I can follow and live by. And then now what I started setting up was goals for myself. The first goal I wanted to do was hire. So by hiring an associate, I can now delegate some of the uh, things that I had to do before hiring. Uh, I looked at things what you know companies call joint work is contracting labor. I was able to contract teams of other advisors to do a lot of back office work. So by freeing up my time, I could then use that time that I would have been using, like doing all this processing work to start studying more. And then now when I hired my associate, I had a real big team in my eyes. I had you know my, my star original associate, Ashley. I had the contracted teams that I was partnering with, but I was still leading some cases. I would just figure out ways to compensate their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and from there, it bought the time that I needed to start, you know, with my wealth management certification first. And then by the time I started my CFP, I hired our second star associate, my fiance, Valeria. So now I really had two associates going into the second year of my business. I started the CFP journey. I looked at it as like my core education. And so really what it was, was being clear. And instead of like partying or traveling and and really burning the revenue our firm was bringing in, it was reinvesting, doubling down, and then using that time on weekends and and nights to really hone in on a crowd. I wasn't watching. (laughs) Because I was clear on what I wanted because I played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Those guys are out there trying to feed their family. And I want to feed mine and my university too. So as a result, I'm not going to watch them go make money when I could be doing that for myself and reaching our goals and supporting Ashley and Valeria and now, you know, Angeline and Hope and everyone else that's associated with Crossroad. So it was just being very clear on what I wanted up front and sticking to it. Absolutely. Pad, you said something that is a a mic drop moment. You said, if you're not clear on your time, your potential will be wasted. I mean, that is just a absolutely brilliant, brilliant statement. And, and from your story, you were not afraid to invest in your practice early on. How did you find the courage to grow your team and and you continue growing your team. I know we talk and you're like, hey, I, I got this new person and they're getting ready to start and you're, <laughs> you're continuing to grow your team. How do you find that courage? Um, I would say the courage comes again from clarity. I'm very thankful my dad, he and when I was coming into you know this profession, 
um, I had a very life-changing conversation with him in a brief moment that I think is, is powerful for everyone who's in financial services or any entrepreneurial role to hear. And I remember coming home, um, going to my parents' house, and I remember sitting on the couch, I was like, man, you know, I'm about to enter into a space where, you know, I got to do this uh, thing called prospect. He said, prospecting? I said, yeah, you know, I do surveys, different names. He says, oh, no, no, I don't ever hear you say that again. He says, let me ask this question. He said, you want to be a physician, right? I said, yes, sir. He says, you want to own your own practice, right? I said, yes, sir. He says, so what? You thought you was going to wake up and have a, a book of business? You thought you was going to have patients already? He says, son, listen, when I got started, my first patient was an introduction from your grandmother. And then I had to be good enough and get out and be active enough in the community, shake hands, get to know people and do good enough work to where now that prospecting, as you call it, led to the life, you know, from your mother and I to provide for you, your sister and your brother. He says, so really, that's just attraction and client building. Mm -hmm. It was a mindset shift. And then I said, OK, OK. I said, but man, you know, um, I'm stepping to the spaces like a 100 percent commission. And I say that because I think a lot of times when, you know, directors of selection even bring, let's say, into financial services, you know, talent and other careers, when you miscommunicate what you do, you get right results that aren't aligned. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I said this because that's what I heard. I said, I'm going to be 100% commission. He says, commission? He said, what's a commission? He says, don't even let that ever come out of your mouth. He says, let me ask you this question. You know, when I drill in someone's mouth, I get paid. Do they call it a commission? It's like, no. He says, it's called revenue. He says, and you deserve to get paid for your time. I said, I provide a point of sale service. And I should get paid for it because I studied and worked hard to provide this service. He says, so all you're doing is generating revenue. He says, what I really want you to focus on is revenue producing activities. Mm. You're generating revenue. And that was a mindset shift because I realized in that moment, as my MD was really trying to expose me to, I am literally launching my firm and this is my baby. And I always wanted to own a medical practice. And now in the space of finance, I was really through, seeing through research, I can build something that a medical practice could never touch one day. Mm -hmm. And so it really became to me this golden opportunity um, that, hey, the same energy I was going to commit to years of four years and additional four years of residency and all these years of training to become a surgeon I wanted to be. I can commit that same time and do it without debt. I didn't need a financial startup. It was a sweat equity startup. Mm -hmm. It was powerful to see that. And I don't think people really realize that when they come into various contract roles, they don't realize what they are blessed with. And here's the split difference between a lot of professionals and I would say even individuals in like the financial services industry that I'm a part of. And that is see an attorney, a pharmacist, you know, a physician, a dentist. To become a professional, most of their parents didn't pay for it, had to take student loans. Mm -hmm. So it makes them for those four to three years really hone in because they don't want to mess up their financial investment. Whereas in the financial services industry, since there's not that large lump sum payment, too many people do not respect the start of their career and they expect to just be a professional. So they wonder why when they get in front of high end professionals, no one wants to meet with them. They have not yet even become a professional themselves. So how dare you want to get in front of a, a market or a space that you don't even exude or represent yourself? 
And so I would say to anyone listening to the podcast, you know, one thing to take from this would simply be become that which you want to serve. Mm-hmm. And you will attract those individuals. And I promise you, you'd serve them at a very high level. Uh, when I speak, business owners, doctors, they listen and they trust it because they can hear my voice. The years of sacrifice, the same way I can hear when I'm in a doctor, I can I know a very confident doctor when I hear one. And if they don't sound too confident, I'm like, hey, check, uh, I need somebody else. Uh, so it's the same exact in our field. We got to become that which, you know, we want to attract. Love that. There are so many nuggets there, but as you're talking about confidence, it reminds me of when you and I first met and your managing <laughs> partner had text connected us. And I mm-hmm. saw you at a social event and I thought, I'm going to go up and introduce myself. And I yeah. introduced myself as your new coach. And you did. You did. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. We had to wait for timing to work out, but uh, I I love that you I love that you point out that you have to respect the business that you're starting you and become a professional, and that's going to help get you into higher markets and and being able to interact with other professionals. And we that's have it. to go back and we have to talk about prospecting a little bit and and business development because this Patrick is without a doubt one of the most difficult elements of growing a business for any business owner I talk to. Anybody, and any whether business. we want to call it prospecting, <clears throat> referrals, getting introductions, business development, at the end of the day, we if we're going to be in business, we need clients that we can serve. What Absolutely. What worked really well for you in order to uh, uh, get introduced to potential clients? Like what what are some of the best tips that have worked well for you? I think the major tip um, I can drop and say uh, is this one word, and it's brand. Mm. Um, brand is everything. And, and I can say, you know, I'm very thankful that I kept a clean face throughout my working career and playing career. Um, because now as I went to launch a business, I think everyone saw how hard I worked to get where I got in the sports world and maintaining, you know, medicine. So that created a lot of trust as I started to build out that initial, you know, marketplace. That said, it was still questions around from people who knew me of, man, here was this guy who who was the heralded football star that was supposed to go to med school. Like, that was a script that was written. So I had to really retell my story and reintroduce myself. And, And so as a result, I had to reintroduce my brand. And so what I would say is what worked very well for me is on social media, for example, um, which is sharing my journey. I never bragged on my journey. I just shared my journey mm-hmm. and invited people to come along who witnessed that journey. And part of that brand, I think people fail to realize the power of association. It's kind of like Michael Jordan. When I'm coaching reps, I call it the Michael Jordan effect. It's like, imagine if you knew Michael Jordan and you told, you know, me or Chris at Burke, like, hey, listen, Michael Jordan is going to be at my house uh, next Thursday at 3 p.m. Think you can make it? Heck yeah, I'm going to be there. Especially Michael Jordan says he's going to teach us how to build a billion dollar business. I'm going to be there. And so what I saw with some of the business owners I was connected to and I could contract their services they were doing some very special things themselves and doing special things for their clients that I wasn't seeing in my communities mm-hmm. and people that I knew. So as a result, you know, I would, you know, put them up on things like my social media and show the world who I was connected to. Let them see how grateful I was for the investment that they were making in me and teaching me about, well, so I can take this back and translate it, you know, to the people that I wanted to serve. And what they ended up doing was it shifted my brand naturally over time 
it, it made people see that I was connected to individuals who could solve their problems, even though I was starting fresh out and learning to solve them myself and being honest about that. And then I think a major shift happened. Um, <laughs> you know, not everybody will have access to this, but I think it's powerful again just to share your journey. Uh, in May of 2018, I started in my business, March of 2018, I actually got an offer uh, to really go join the New York Jets. And, you know, while I was there, the question I asked was, hey, can I still run my practice? Because what was powerful for me was when I went up there, I just really wanted to go up there just to, hey, see an NFL facility one more time. But I knew where I wanted to go. And I kind of wanted to put the pressure on, on people around me to get me into office um, and that got me into office very fast. Um, so shouts out, whoever's watching this, they'll know who they are. Um, they got me into office very fast because no one wanted me to leave given the start I had. Uh, and, and so as a result, <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> leverage. Uh, I just wanted to see um, the NFL facility one more time. And so I actually hey, can I still run my practice? I, was, oh, I don't know it's gonna work. I said, I'm good, that's fine. Cause I just wanted to be inside a facility one more time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I knew in that moment I didn't want to be there. And so that was very freeing for me to know that I walked mm-hmm. away from the game um, versus being forced to walk away. And I shared that. And when people saw that I turned down, because I had took pictures while I was up there, and I shared that, but I turned down what they thought was my dream to see my new dream and passion come into fruition. It let people know I was so serious about this work I was doing. And from there, that started leading again to, you know, people reaching out. Um, We've served them at a high level and just continuously, continuously kind of almost not asking, but demanding who we should serve. I think that's another shift after I go from brand and branding is to go from asking to more so demanding and not demanding in like a pushy way. But demanding in a way that you're telling somebody that, hey, I know if someone's not in front of me, I feel bad for where they might end up. Mm. And so instead of me asking you, hey, who should I be talking to? You know, I break down the problems that we solve and now let them know who we spend time with and typically serve, which are oftentimes markets above where a lot of people may be. And then I'd say, hey, tell me, you know, two to three individuals, you know, that would love to sit down in front of me. And here's some of the wonderful things that we're doing to serve people so they can walk away with a peace of mind. It's such a shift when you go from asking for a name, which now someone looks like a favor to you as a business, whereas you let them know the specific problems you solve. And now telling them, hey, who should be talking to us? Because now they're actually doing that person a favor versus doing you a favor. Because as a business, all we want to do is serve. But too often do we position our value prop as needing a favor when really we're out there doing a favor if we're actually true to our service and what we do. Wow. A massive mindset shift around prospecting. And I know so many individuals don't want to ask for those referrals because they don't want to feel like the client is doing a favor. So I appreciate how you reframed that for everyone and the importance of breaking down the problems. And that way we're doing someone a favor when they're meeting with us. Absolutely. And Pat, I'm hearing this throughout our whole conversation. You've been having all these reframes and mindset shifts. And I'm curious, what do you do to keep your mindset strong? Because I know not every day is fantastic, right? There, there are things that come your way, disappointments, adversity. So what do you do to keep your mindset so strong? Yeah, um, I would say it's really the, the core of, you know, thinking about being, a, you know, achiever, goal achiever. 
um, really it's a scene to a time that you're not in yet. And so you ask what I do to keep my mindset strong. I would say it's biblical in terms for me, but it's really written a lot of texts and people may call it the law of attraction. And I don't think when we say those kind of things, like I said, the power of vision, we realize what it would really mean. Mm-hmm. And so since what I think on, I get, it means I should be very intentional about what I think on. Because the moment I stop thinking that way, then getting out of a situation, I may get in a messier situation because now I'm thinking on the mess. And so truthfully, just to define, you know, not away from a religion, but, you know, from my faith, uh, the definition of faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, people teach that as like a belief in, in God, but otherwise it would read that, but it doesn't. It says simply the substance of what you hope for, the evidence of what you can't see. What I have learned through many studies, I read a lot, that substance of what you hope for is just what you think on. Mm-hmm. And then the evidence of what you can't see is just your feelings. What do you feel? It's kind of like having a family member, you know, who cooks real good. You know, maybe they got a good dessert that you love. I can say that food in your mouth might water. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing it, but you can feel it based off of you having experienced it. And, you know, once you learn to experience a moment before it happened, you can walk in that moment. And that's all that faith meant, even in that scripture, was how to experience a moment you haven't even felt yet and walk in it because you can think on it. And one of the greatest mindset shifts I think we can all embrace that I've studied from like the work of, you know, Dr. Dispenza that's brought me back to scripture is to go from thinking how we feel to feeling how we think. Faith allows us to go to feel how we think because now I can think out of a situation because if I think on a mess, I'm always get the mess. Mm-hmm. If I think on a struggle, stress, I'm always get the stress. But if I can think on a time where I'm already past it and feel that, it allows me to have the energy and the confidence that I need to attack the moment. So as a result, I'm always constantly in my mind uh, reshaping it, framing it, seeing things differently. And it's like any muscle. What I've learned is at first it was pretty, you know, hard to do. Um, and things would happen and I would be very vulnerable. In the early stages of my career, I had a very limited thinking mindset in the sense that the higher I went up, I felt I would fall. And that was because, you know, going back, you know, my time at Stanford, I decided to transfer away. Um, just because of, you know, a disagreement with like a coach, I didn't want to even play for him no more. I won't say any names. God bless him. Um, but I kind of created this narrative in my head that I, I leave the promised land because I left some of my friends there. But then I got to a better promised land at FAMU. Then I got to the NFL. Then I got cut. And it's like that, that narrative came back again. And I let it live in me too long. So when I was growing and I went higher, all I could then see was a bigger fall. So one of the shifts that I made roughly two years ago as I started understanding what faith was, was to stop thinking on the fall so much, to forgive myself for thinking on it and in grace accept that I did and move on. And now from there, it was to think on what I want, feel what I want, feel who I want to become. And I can say slowly but surely every day I've been just evolving into that person. So it's really just a constant, you know, deep reflection of self. I think if we all are honest with ourselves. We are our biggest enemy. Uh, we are our biggest detriment. And the moment we can go from an external focus to an internal focus and grace, we can accomplish anything. Absolutely. Yeah, your mindset, uh, I love it's the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Our, you're right. Our mindset dictates and determines 
everything. And as you talk about experiencing a moment before it happens, it takes me back to when I used to be a runner and I used to run marathons. And, you know, you're out there for those grueling 16, 18 mile training runs. I and I just, I just picture myself crossing that finish line. And then you get to that moment in the actual race and you're like, wait a minute. I've been here before. I've been here before. I've been here before. And I know I know how to uh, move through it. So And so just to piggyback on that, right? Imagine taking it and isolating it. Because what I realized in, in sports, I did it in college. I did it in high school. I would see myself making the play. And I always made it. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening, like I said, in a fail on a bigger stage, I started worrying about everything around me. And I shifted my focus. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what I did when I was 21 and 22. But now as a man, I can reflect back and I know where my focus shifted. And so that's one of the things I'm thankful for and just studying and reading and seeing. I was like, man, I used to do that. And I used to listen to all the Hall of Fame speeches. They all said, I saw myself on the stage before I was here. I saw myself making the play. Well, hey, now I see this firm. I feel this firm. And now I just live it out. And, and things have just been evolving along the way. Well, let's talk about how you're growing this firm. And I know one of the things you're focused on right now is 10X growth. (laughs) What is 10X growth? And what are you doing to 10X your growth right now? Yeah, um, I think so often we get caught up on 2X. Um, And that is, you know, going through every metric and every system and every process, you know, an approach like that really leads to just maybe, hey, a, a doubling in growth. Uh, and so this comes from the work of Sullivan, um, you know, who, who's a very great business strategist, um, you know, wrote Who Not How. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also one of his works is, you know, 10x is easier than 2x. And it's true. I've seen it in my own career. I've seen so many folk, people focus on like small incremental growth. But if you can double down on really one thing. You can have greater growth. And so this concept actually is a financial and economic concept, too. Uh, A lot of people think, you know, to be wealthy, you need seven streams of income. That's false. Uh, It starts with one major focus that you then diversify potentially into seven streams. So I don't think Bill Gates focused on seven companies. He focused on Microsoft, blew it up and then invested in everything else. Um, You know, Warren Buffett, you know, had some things along the way, but then it was Berkshire. You know, while he owned multiple companies, his focus was the growth of Berkshire. So it really becomes mastering your one thing, such Mm -hmm. as Jeff Bezos with Amazon, right? He mastered distribution through Amazon, and now he owns distribution in everything. Mm -hmm. So the true saying in finance is concentration builds wealth, diversification preserves it. So if you really want 10x growth, you should concentrate your efforts in one focus, and then now take those returns when you're out of it and then diversify it. So that is truly my focus this year is to concentrate on one specific area, um, see the growth that we're looking to have. And then now come, you know, December, January, we'll reinvest that revenue, build out this infrastructure, bring in the players we need to stabilize again, and then do it all over again. Mm -hmm. I think as business owners, it can be very tempting to see all the different ways you can build a business. And I, I know I get caught up in all the noise on social media and, oh, I should be doing this. And why don't I do it this way? And I that is another shift in thinking. It's master your one thing, double down, have great growth in that area, and then worry about diversifying. That is it. 
You know, I think the first thing I, I focused on as a business owner, being in a space where I can contract out labor was to be a master, masterful introducer. Uh, I focused on introductions, better than becoming a better introducer than anyone else. Um, from there, it was, you know, really working on my ability to just attract and speak to the markets and places I wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it became really doubling down on how to communicate what we do to create clarity around that. And so a lot of people even think about, you know, the educational side as being, hey, just growth of specialty. But really, I've always looked at my education as just a way to more clearly explain what I do. Because since I'm always thinking through these different concepts, I would always practice those concepts as I would explain it to a prospective client. So now, since I was doing it while I was studying, I was just really mastering how do I explain what we do? Mm-hmm. So by really doubling down on the language side, it really led to a lot of the growth we've seen. And so now the thing for me this year, like you said, the one thing that I'm focused on is really, you know, being very intentional on the people we see and who we see um, and just really concentrating the efforts and the focus there. Uh, and with some of the, you know, industries, companies um, and people we serve to multiply that would easily lead to a 10x growth and even a 20. So yeah, it's definitely concentrating on that one thing and focusing on it. Well, I can't wait to be along for that journey when you're at that 20 times growth. Let's go. Let's (laughs) go. Let's go. go. Let's go. The infrastructure is built. Let's go. Patrick, this has been such a phenomenal conversation. I, I love how you took us on your journey of going from the NFL to founding Crossroad Capital Partners. You shared so much of how you thought about your practice early on was how do I create leverage and be a masterful introducer that bought you that time to focus on your craft. And you've been so diligent about studying and obtaining designations and pursuing your education so you can truly serve your clients. And that servant mentality has come out through so much of our conversation today. It's all about serving and giving back. And that that is a big part of your vision too, to give back to your university. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about the four characteristics of goal achievers, clarity, confidence, courage, and consistency. And you hinted about the importance of clarity so many times, like that vision. And if we're not clear, we're wasting our time and wasting our potential. So I am delighted with everything that you shared today. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, Patrick, if our listeners want to learn more about the work that you do, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I, I would say uh, website contact is there, uh, crossroadcapitalpartners.com. Uh, social media, I would say Instagram be a great place to connect and go from there. Uh, Instagram is where I'm probably most active. <laughs> That is my first name, P-A-D-R-I-C underscore Beast. Uh, Patrick underscore Beast had that since I played football. Why change it now? Um, So yeah, that'd be a great place to find, you know, maybe shoot a DM and we can connect and go from there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. With that goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Hey, goal achiever, congrats on investing time in your growth and finishing another episode. 
If you are left craving more goal achieving and business growing wisdom, visit my website, kristenburke.com and check out the resources page. Here, you will find my popular breakout plan, which has helped hundreds plan, prioritize, and progress towards their goals. Vision prompts to help you draft your vision and a mid-year goal check-in to help you reconnect and reignite your passion for your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve.